Very good. All right. Do I stand out of breath? No, I can do the, the okay, intro. Okay, you do the intro. <clears throat> okay. guys, welcome to season two, episode nine of Belgarit and Beyond, the show where we explore magical worlds chapter by chapter, beginning with the Belgariad series of books by David Eddings. This season, we're reading book two, Queen of Sorcery, and today we're discussing chapter eight. My name is Alicia Seymour, and I'm with Sandra, as always. How are you, Sandra? Hi, I'm good, sweetheart. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. <sighs> Thank you for taking the introduction so I could catch my breath. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No problem. So how, how, I know it hasn't been that long since we spoke, but how has your week been? <laughs> yeah, so it's such a weird question. Like it feels a bit <laughs> like we're faking it, but um, because we're, tr- we're trying to, get some extra episodes recorded for you, my darling listeners, because I'm going away for a week on holiday and we just, we like to have a few episodes in the bank so that if anything happens, you can still have us in your podcast feed every week. And um, so we recorded just yesterday. And so to say, how was your week? Feels a bit weird, but (laughs) it's all right. There's always something else going on in our week. So yeah, it's been 24 hours, so I'm sure something's changed. I know, right? That's, that's a whole lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> How's my week? Well, in the last 24 hours, I've managed to shred my bottom lip. <laughs> so, oh, ouch. Yeah, our patrons will get to look. look uh, and our listeners, you just have to imagine... There's a big red mark on my bottom lip where I've chewed the crap out of it because it dried out and got flaky and I chewed it to bits. And so I'm a bit sad about that, but I'm having nice warm drinks and I'm snuggled up in a nice warm jumper. And so my potion this week is hot and malty because I'm drinking uh, chicory like as a coffee substitute. Mm, I've tried that. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I tried so hard and I'm like, nope. I really, really like it. You just have to make sure that you're not trying to think of it as coffee. Yeah. Drink. That was my problem is that it made me miss coffee because it wasn't coffee. And see, it's not coffee, but I really like it. It's like this multi kind of sweet aftertaste and it's really nice. And so I have a little bit of rice milk with mine and and so that's what's in my cup because the weather's cooled off and I've, you know, got my nice snuggly jumper on, my favourite snuggly jumper and my little, my little house slippers. I've been scuffing around in my little house slippers with my hot drinks. You oh, look nice and cosy right now. Oh, I just love this. This so is it, the season it, from hot to cool. It's already moved into fall there or is it still well, in between? It's the in-between. So we have some quite cool days. So today was like 16 and then tomorrow be like 22. And Celsius. Yes. 
And so it sort of pops around a little bit now. So we could still get quite a warm day, but it's generally getting cooler and cooler and the days are getting shorter. And when the season turns here, the, the light disappears quite quickly. So yeah. um, like, I don't know if you can remember when we were recording just a couple mm-hmm. of months ago, this time of night it was blazing sun through my back window. And now it's like the sun's almost down. It's really, it's really dull outside. So, but this is my, this is my season. This I like this season. I feel really good, despite my shredded lip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So six, sixteen degrees um, Celsius. I just looked it up. Is equal to about sixty degrees Fahrenheit, which is what it would be for me. And mm-hmm. uh, I think we're in the same kind of season right now, but with San Diego weather, we're still hitting like close to 90 uh, and I'm ready for fall weather. So. Wow. That's like 30 odd degrees, isn't it? Celsius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like 40, 45. No, I looked up 40, 40 or 30, 38 or 39 is a hundred and just over a hundred Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good difference in the number. Mm. I like, someone says Fahrenheit, I'm like, I have no concept of Fahrenheit. <laughs> I have yeah, to look it up. I am with Celsius. I know. <laughs> I have to look it up. I was going to say, that sounds really pleasant. That's what I'm waiting for to happen here. I'm waiting oh, and waiting. I love it. I love it. I love it. Until like mid October, probably. <laughs> um, but my week. What's your potion? I, What's your potion? Oh, my potion. I put it silky sweet and rich. It's a silky sweet and rich purple tonic. I don't know exactly what would make it purple, but it's purple. I love that. (laughs) Mysterious purple tonic. (laughs) Well, because I have been greatly enjoying this show. Flower agrees with me. Um, this show on Netflix called The Dark Crystal. <gasps> Have you started watching it? I've been oh wondering whether I will or not. It's, it's like the best thing ever. Did you watch fantasy. the original movies when you were a kid? I know I saw parts of them because I recognized the faces of the mystics. When I started seeing the mystics come in, I'm like, hey, I've seen them before. But it's like one of those faded memories that's kind of like, I know I saw it, but I don't really remember anything about the show or the movies. But yeah, I did. Um, And I wasn't sure going into The Dark Crystal how I feel about watching puppets because this is Jim Henson. You know, it's awesome. Puppets are awesome. (laughs) So the first episode, I was kind of like, I'm intrigued, but it's still kind of weird. They do a really good job with the puppets yeah. now, but it was still kind of weird for me at first. But once I got to know the characters, it was like, and then the storyline started getting so deep. It's just, this is fantasy. Like, this is what fantasy is. <gasps> okay. So I'm going to be watching it. Yeah. I'm already, there's 10 episodes for season one. I'm already going to be, I am on season, I mean, episode eight. <laughs> you um, ripped through them. Yeah. It's been a couple weeks, so I didn't like binge watch a, a couple days or anything, but it, it really is. It's like an escape. Like I, this is what, it, what people say when 
fantasy can be an escape for you. Like this literally just takes you to another world. Like you're in there mm. and it is another world and it's these creatures, you know. And it sounds really rich and complex too. It is because it's like, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's other worlds that are involved and they've come to this world and kind of done damage here and uh-huh. be corrected, but it's almost like too late type of thing. So, okay. So that the dark crystal is what makes your potion purple. Yeah. That is brilliant. Yeah. Cause the whole theme of that show is purple. Like the, the, the lettering and the, okay. and the title is purple and that's my color is purple. Like that's yep, my, yep, yep. that's what the Raven dreams was, is all purple in my mind as I was writing it. I just see the color purple. Oh, lovely. So, yeah. I love it. It's like the best thing that's happened to me in a while as far as stories and oh, nice. It's I've been waiting. Like I told Nathan this. I was like, I have been waiting for this. Like I know I saw it as a child. You're all sparky. Yeah. Well, it like, just makes me happy thinking about it. Oh, <laughs> I love anything that makes you happy. Oh, thanks. But yeah, it just it almost also empowered me as a as an author because I saw so much of my my Raven Dreams stories and the characters in these stories. Like there was moments where I was like, hey, hey, that's that's my line. Like, <laughs> but it got me excited because it's still so different. Like our stories are still so different. But the the bottom underlying factor of it all is like it's the same. Mm. It's the same journey. The same things are going on. And it just kind of reinforced me of like, yeah, you do know what you're doing. <laughs> you yeah. do know how to tell a story. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been my okay, my tonic. Cool. Okay, so what's next? What's next? Garion's view, please. Okay. So, <clears throat> chapter eight. Um, they are on the road again, right? They left Leldrum behind with the and terrible with the names and this, but with the people who were at war with each other under the spell, mm-hmm. and. Garion has a moment to talk with Hetar, gets like a interesting backstory from him. And then they arrive at this great fair that's like always there, but always changing because it's always different people moving in and out. And it's all just tense. And Silk seems really comfortable here. He knows what he's doing. He knows the people. Uh, but then they have a run in with Brill, they find out that Brill is there, and then even worse, that Ashrak is there with some Murgos. So Mr. Wolf has a clever idea for them, and they're able to kind of sneak away. Uh, but there's obviously a lot that goes on in between all that. So mm-hmm. we can talk about that next. Cool. Yeah. So get down into the chapter. So I was going to bring up the map. Let me just let me just find a map. So the map that we are looking at, darlings, is the same map that has been in the show notes a couple of times of Arendia. Okay, I see it here. Okay, and so I thought that I'd ha- I'd pull the map up while we're talking today, so that I get a clearer idea of, you know, where our gang is on the journey 
And I'm going to try and sort of do this periodically through our chats because I can remember when I first read the books, I would flick back to the maps all the time, like to, to reference myself in the world and know exactly where they were on the road and, you know, what the area looked like. And I did that a lot when I, when I read it through the first time. And so I thought I would just start having it as a reference while we're chatting. So, and that might actually help me not to fuck up the names of the countries and the peoples so much. <laughs> so that would be yeah, good. I'm still at the point where I'm completely lost half the time. Like, ooh, I don't even remember where <laughs> we're going. So it's like, I know they're at the great fair right now. That's easy to remember. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. So they've come. So on this map that we're looking at of Arendia, you can see the Arendish Forest. Yep, I see the Great Fair here. Yeah, you can see the Great Arendish Fair on the Great West Road. And they're heading and they're south, heading south no. towards Tonnedra. Okay. So yes, if you go back up into the middle of the forest, is where this book started at Vowakun. Mm-hmm. So Vowakun was in the middle of that forest of the Arendish forest, and so far in the Queen of Sor- in Queen of Sorcery, we've been travelling south through the forest, and we've just emerged from the forest. You can see the the uh, the tor is oh, yeah, right near the edge of the forest where Leldoran was Leldoran was attacked by the Algroths, and then yeah. they've kept coming down and they've crossed um a, so, uh, there's a river and now they're at the great Arendish fair which is on the plains the you know the grasslands so they've entered the Arendish plain a great a vast rolling grassland so there's not very many people settled here and this is where the fair resides and it's basically a big collection of um tents and fluid population people coming to trade and do business and and then they leave and other people come and replace them and the reason that they're tents and not buildings which is touched on the chapter is because buildings are taxed and tents aren't (laughs) i like that um so yeah so that's our little map talk so we know where we are does that help alicia yeah yeah it helps a lot (laughs) yeah I couldn't for the life of me remember where they were trying to go. As they, as they, they would keep leaving one location to continue on. I'm like, where are they going again? And, um, and I'm not going to go back and search for that, you know. Well, I don't know that it was. I remember them saying, should we go to Prolgu or something earlier on? But I don't think they're going to Prolgu yet. Yeah, I'm not sure. They'll probably mention it again soon yeah, anyways. Right? Probably will. I'm not see, I'm not sure if they did mention it. If anybody knows, if any listener can recall, I'm usually pretty good at recalling that stuff, but I cannot recall that they have a destination in mind or whether they're just heading south. Oh they're, they're heading they're heading to where they think the that Zeta would have taken the orb. Yeah. And I can't remember where that is. So there we go. <laughs> okay. Let's just read this chapter. <laughs> okay. So you go, babe. Okay. I'm going to wait for this airplane to pass. No worries. 
the first big thing that happens is that um, like they're all a bit moody because look, <laughs> I love how I say you go and then I just go. <laughs> yeah, I was just waiting for that airplane because it would have been like really loud in the background yeah. of our talking. I'm, I'm just going to shut up and drink my hot <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. I have a short memory too. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, the, it basically picks up with Garyan and Hetar riding side by side as they're continuing on, and he's doing his best to stay away from Mandal- Mandor Allen. I guess he still doesn't really care for him after all, even after that little moment they had. Well, but- I wonder if he doesn't care for him or if he's still embarrassed because he's quite... Um, maybe. Maybe a little bit ashamed of how he behaved when he called okay. Mandalan out at the end of the last chapter. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's it. Because we've um, got to remember how old he is too. Like he's a young teenager. That's mm-hmm. a big deal when you're a young teenager, that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like being slapped in the face and you're like, oof, I don't oh, like that feeling. Oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's with Hetar though. And he decides to like, just ask him some questions because he's, you know, I guess he's interested and also a little bit bored, but he asks him about why he hates Murgos so much. And then Hetar tries to like blow it off at first as like, well, all of us, you know, the Alorns, all of us hate Murgos. That's just the way it is. But Garion pushes him a little bit more and he tells Garion that he killed the, the Murgos killed his parents. So then we get this whole story of how that happened. Which was, you know, you can tell Garyan feels the sadness and like the anger and all of that as um, Hetar is explaining this to him. So it's interesting because this is the first time for me that I've really felt like I've learned anything about this character, Hetar. He's kind of just been more been this, you know, he's there and he's fighting and he's obviously a good companion, but there's not much more, you know, than that. So this really is his origin story, isn't it? Yeah. So it was nice to see that. Yeah. So his his hate goes, he's very personal and very ingrained. You know, the Murgos didn't just kill his parents. They tortured them. Mm -hmm. And um, then after his parents were dead, he was seven or something. They tied him by his feet and dragged him behind their horses until uh, the rope snapped and they thought he was dead and they left him there. And that's when Chohag found him, you know, wandering the plains. And so, you know, at seven, that's like such an impressionable age and to have had such a traumatic thing happen, it just switched this, switched him into this um, really deep, deep hatred and wish for vengeance towards these people and then he talks about when he was 10 he killed his first Murgo and Chohag thought that you know he ran the Murgo down put a javelin between his shoulders and that made him feel a little bit better and then Chohag thought that if he made him watch the Murgo die that would cure him of his need for vengeance but it didn't at all so it's a really deep wound there for him psychologically yeah and I like the moment that Garyan like compares himself to Hetar and, and remembers what Mr. Wolf says about 
you don't want to carry that vengeance around your entire life, you know. But then he's still kind of like, well, Hetar could live with it, so I can too. <laughs> yeah, you can see him with that real adolescent admiration for someone he sees as, you know, I don't know. I was thinking about this. All of the people around Garion are so different, but they're all his, like this is his village, you know, takes a village to raise mm-hmm. a child. Like these are all of his mentors and yeah. it's, 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 it's really I love seeing him interact with them. And how he reacts to them and the, the thoughts that he has in response to in the way that he, you can sort of see him building his own personality, you know, or tending his own personality, you know, weeding this bit and pruning that bit and, you know, wishing this other bit would grow. Mm-hmm. Really, I love, it's one of my favourite things about the, the, the story, you know, watching Gary and develop. I think it's good too because all of us can remember being a teenager and feeling those emotions of like you're fine, you're figuring out who you are, but you're still kind of intimidated by a lot of stuff, and you're also really unsure about yourself in a lot of ways at the same time as you're trying to be like defiant about who you really are to other people. Mm-hmm. But inside, you're still like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Then you say stupid stuff to a man in armor on a war horse and you just feel like an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's portrayed pretty good here with Gary and I like that. Mm-hmm. But then he rides up to, um, and he's next to Mr. Wolf and Mandar Allen. <laughs> I wonder how long you'll trip over that for. <laughs> I still want to call him something else and I don't know why. Um, but they're having a, a deep conversation here. Sorry about that airplane. Hold Mr. On. Wolf and Mandar Allen are having a deep conversation. <clears throat> so yeah. it's, it's, it sounds like they've sort of loitered to the side because they were right out at the front and Heto and Garion were right at the back with the pack horses and they they sort of, they're so deep in conversation, they end up, Heta and Garen catch up with them. Yeah. Okay. So then they're talking about, about like, uh, Mander Allen's talking about the war in Arendia, right? Um, that basically, they're, they're having a discussion about that. And Mr. Wolf's telling him it can be cured. Well, he's, Mander Allen's saying he can see civil war coming, you know, between mm-hmm. the um, Asturians and the Membrates. You know, there's, 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 it's so deeply ingrained in their culture, in their persons. It's just in them to, to war against each other and n- nothing's going to stop them. It's just in their blood. And Mander Allen's sort of <clears throat> being a bit melancholy about the whole business and, you know, we're overproud and... Mm. that's what dooms our poor Arendia to interminable war, you know. Mm -hmm. There's no escape from it. Yeah. And then Mr. Wolf is the one saying that that can be cured. And he's, when when Mandarellen, they almost have like this kind of back and forth for a little bit of like, but war is inevitable. Mr. Wolf's like, no, it's not. And then Mandarellen's still kind of like, but, and Mr. Wolf's like, no. And then finally it's to the point where like Mandar Allen realizes that Mr. Wolf can actually step in and uh, do something to stop it if he needs to. Like Mr. Wolf says, I will, if I have to, step in. Mandar Allen seems a bit surprised by this, that Mr. Wolf actually has that power. 
yeah, it's kind of a little bit awed, like, wow. Mm. And I love the way that Wolf's just so matter of fact about it. Well, yeah, mm. I, I can actually stop it if I want to. It's not convenient that this happens right now. If I need to, I'll just make it all stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's interesting because, you know, it's another glimpse at just how much power Mr. Wolf has. Yeah, yeah. Like, what can he really do? If he wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Hey. Mm-hmm. And then Gary and Gary's a little, uh, can hear them talking and he's like, ah, oh, shit. If, if, if grandfather can stop a whole bloody war, he's, he's going to have no problem stopping me and my pissy little vendetta. Yeah. <laughs> right. That was funny. Uh, so yeah, then they arrive at the great fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where, you know, we see Silk seems to know a lot about it already. And Mr. Wolf uh, says, like, yeah, we might as well stop because we need to yep. uh, rest and, and get supplies and all of that. I love this next part. It's so <laughs> good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because Hetar is, is speaking up for the horses that they could use some rest because they're starting to complain. <laughs> And I like how Mr. Wolf reacts and he's just like, you should have told me. Like he, he knows that's natural that horses would complain when they're tired. And yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Hetar says they're exaggerating, of course, but a little <laughs> hurt them. <laughs> Sorry. When I laughed, that cut out your volume. So you, can you say that again? please? Oh. <laughs> he said they're exaggerating, of course, but a little rest wouldn't hurt them. Um, and then Silk seems surprised. He's like, you don't mean that horses can actually lie, do you? <laughs> um, which I thought was pretty funny. Yep, yep. Because he's like, of course, they're really good at lying. <laughs> yeah, Hedda's like, yeah, they, they do it all the time. They're good at it. <laughs> and then Silk has a little think about that, and he's like, yeah, that's excellent. That just restores my um, notion of a balanced universe <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I know, he almost seemed like, like, he, he didn't know what to say or react, or he might be angry about it or something. Yeah, like, he's affronted, like, like, yeah. Maybe, maybe because he thinks he's the master liar in the group, and now he's realizing that horses he can lie too. Might, might best him on that. <laughs> well, he does. He, he does. I'm sure that he considers himself the master liar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but then, and then the moment, like, it comes back around to Silk because. Um, who is it that says this? Oh, because Silk says, somehow this restores my faith in the order of the universe. And then Mr. Wolf tells him that he's an evil man. You <laughs> <I> know that. <laughs> and that almost seemed to kind of like lift his spirits back up too. Like, right? oh, yeah. oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. But yeah, you're right. And he, Silk's like, oh, yes, one does one's best. And he's back to his mocking self. Yeah. Yeah. So then this is Silk, like Silk, is getting, I don't know, I felt like a sense of excitement in him from my perspective that he's like, um, oh, definitely. He's ready to go do some business. But yeah, Silk is totally getting excited. As they ride down the hill towards the fair, he starts to get like twitchy almost. Mm hmm. Yeah, I like that. Seeing him back in his zone of genius. <laughs> <laughs> yes, precisely. <laughs> Um, and, and then as they start to ride through the fair, people start to recognize him. 
like other merchants mm-hmm. and um they they watch the party pass and they're sort of a bit wary and suspicion suspicious uh, uh, expressions and um Barak's like, well, I can see that your your reputa- your reputation precedes you, Silk. <laughs> and Silk's, yeah, yeah, laughing it up. He kind of likes that, I think. And yeah, but the interesting thing that I think is, Dernick asks him, "Isn't there a danger that somebody will recognise you as um, Amber of Kotu?" And he, it's it's really well explained. You know, Silk sort of says that it's not very likely because. Amber doesn't come to Arendia very often and he and Radek don't look a bit alike. And Dirk's like, yeah, but they're you. They're all the same person. And Silk's like, yeah, no, you and I know that, but no one else does. To others, I look quite different. Mm -hmm. So the the way that he does that, the way that he takes on the entire persona, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was interesting to me because I I wondered if there wasn't a little bit of... I don't know, magic in some sense to that, just that to everybody else he looks different. And I know he wears disguises and that's and that stuff, but I think it's also how much he steps into the persona of somebody else. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, even if you are in different moods, you use different facial expressions, different postures. Um, you might wear different clothes, do your hair differently, wear glasses, don't wear glasses. Um, have a different tone of voice and all of those things, you know, can make you into a different person. So, I mean, I think we do that in our own lives to a certain extent. Like, for example, the me that I was in corporate finance world is not the me I am now. If you looked at photos of me then and me now side by side, I am a different person with an entirely different persona, wardrobe, way of carrying myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is true. It's the same for most of us in, in different phases of our life too. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely. So, so it makes sense that people that don't know he is, you know, doing this, switching different personas would, would have no idea. No. So I think it's more that it's just excellent spycraft on his part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they run into someone that Radic knows a bald Dresnian merchant. So Silk is Dresnian. This is a Dresnian merchant. And they run into each other and they start chatting. Yeah. This part was a little bit, I, I admit I was reading this while my daughter was doing her homework last night. So some of it didn't absorb as much as it could have otherwise. Did you want me to go through uh, it? Yeah, this part you can do. I, I don't remember all the details of it. Okay, so the person they meet is called Delvor. And Silk and Delvor know each other. They are happy to meet each other and they have a very nice conversation. You know, what are you selling? How are you doing? And underneath the surface conversation, they're having a conversation in a secret language with their hands. Uh, Delvor is saying, you know, the king's told us to give you whatever help we can. Um, What do you need? And Silk tells them, you know, while they're having this surface conversation, says with his hands that, um, you know, are there any Murgos at the fair? Um, then they have a conversation about it, the Murgos who are there and, you know, can you put us up for a day or so? And they agree. Delvor says, yep, no worries, and come on in. So they all go into Delvor's pavilion 
uh, everyone's introduced and and then uh, Wolf asks him if he'll um, find out about the Murgos who are there and Delvor sends out some people to make inquiries about that. And then Radic of Boktor gets things going. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I did like the whole imagery of this scene with uh, the tent and like uh, seeing like the inside of it. It's almost mm-hmm. like with um, Harry Potter at the Quidditch World Cup when they're tents, you know, they're, they're magical tents though. They look small and you step in and it's like this huge, with the same kind of coloring and stuff. So mm-hmm. I thought that was, I liked that. Yeah, it's quite a luxurious interior described with lush carpets and glowing braziers. So it's nice and warm and cozy with big red pillows everywhere for them to sit on. Yeah, yeah. So he, Silk, yeah, Silk goes out to do, take care of business, right? He takes Gary on with him because yeah. he says that Radic always has a few, um, curios. I don't know, curios are, but. Oh, curios, like little bits and pieces, interesting things. things okay. Okay. So, yeah, Garen goes with it and basically <clears throat> just watches the, the whole thing as Silk maneuvers through these people and he's trading and getting money and giving, like, items and then he's taking items and it's mm-hmm. just all this back and forth exchange and trading and all of that. Mm-hmm. At the end of it, it's like Silk seems upset by something while Garion is completely in awe of like how he just did all of that and got all of this money. Yeah, so he's got like this huge pouch of money. They've still got as much stuff in the bag that they took out, except it's all different stuff now. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah, so that was really the, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it is like Silk is like a mentor for Garion in this way. <laughs> Of teaching him just like well, alcohol did say before they went out. Could he please not corrupt Garion too much? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Silk has that. It's like the different the the underside of the world in a way of like the the black market yeah. kind of thing. But it's not like he's just trading. But it may, mm-hmm. he's so good at it that he's like he really makes a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is it is kind of like in a way in some instances I think he does kind of scam people out of their money. Oh, I think he would enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> but he's upset because of this. What is it that he ends up with and he doesn't know how much it's worth. So he's kind of like he has a little he he has a little beautifully hand-blown glass bottle and he's traded two ivory-bound books of Wackite verse to a Reven for this little bottle of perfume. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he doesn't know how much it's worth, so he's, like, cranky because he doesn't know who won. <laughs> right. And Gary thinks that that's kind of funny. <laughs> um, but Silk's response to that, I thought I could just see him almost, like, pouting. Yeah. He's Gary and laughing at him. And he's like, I don't see how that's funny at all. That's not funny. Yeah, like, getting all up in on his high horse. <laughs> that's not funny. <laughs> yeah. But then he has a solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gives it to Aunt Paul as to see how her reaction is. Yeah, like as a gift. And- 
Yeah, and I don't know. I don't really know, like, what did he hope, really? Because if he gives it to her as a gift, then it's not his anymore to do with anything with it. And so, but she gets it and, like, examines it, and then she replies to him, like, thanking him for it, but then he can't tell if she's being sarcastic or not. (laughs) So he still doesn't know if he won or not. (laughs) Yeah. So he, like, leaves the tent in the huff of, like, I'm doing this. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Get out of here. (laughs) Uh, So he goes and has a pout. Yeah, so Delva comes back um, not long after that reports about the Murgos. There are five Murgos with about two dozen Thols. And you can remember back at the start, I was explaining that Thols tend to be porters for Murgos. So mm-hmm. that's probably what they're there for. And then Heta sort of perks up because like, oh, Murgos. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and they've come from, they claim to have come from Vomimba, which is further south, but there's red clay on the Thols boots. And there's only red clay to the north. So <clears throat> they're lying about where they've come from. They've come from the same direction that our party has come from. So it's likely that they're following. Or, yeah. you know, that's kind of what that suggests, I think. That was uh, my thoughts. Yeah? Yeah, that was my thought that that meant they'd been following them mm-hmm. at a distance, you know, where they, they didn't know. Yeah. They're being followed. And so then they fall into conversation about what to do because they don't want the Murgos dogging their steps when they leave the, the um, fair and um, barracks sort of, you know, wouldn't it be better to just for Hetar, Mandarala and I to go pick a fight and just <laughs> kill them because five dead Murgos aren't going to follow anybody. Hetar's very excited about that. But um, <laughs> um, Silk sort of dissuades them because... The Tonedrin legionnaires who police the fair, you know, there'd just be drama and then you have to explain yourself and that sort of thing. And then Delvor um, tells them that they, he, the leader is a Murgo named Asherak. So it's, it's a little bit more, I don't know, it's, it's definitely more personal now and it's much less of a coincidence that they're there. Yeah. So, and then... And then this is when um, Garion lifts the tent flap to allow Delva to leave to do something else. And he spots Brill. Yep. Brill. <laughs> that, that was, yeah, that was interesting because we haven't heard from Brill at all since the first book. And Dernick goes out to confirm it. And he, his comment is, he's close enough for me to smell him. I guess he has a very unique <laughs> smell about him he's a stinky he's a stinky dude (laughs) (laughs) i got that correction (laughs) i just like i the the description of brill is so brilliant he's such an ugly character he's got like his eyes he's he's got a cast eye so one of his eyes points off in a in a a direction (laughs) that's not straight ahead Mm -hmm. he's smelly (laughs) And, yeah. you know, just a grub. Yeah. Um, but Mr. Wolf's um, idea, though, to tell Dernick to go outside and pretend, you know, to go, you know, like look at something, but don't make sure that he knows, he doesn't know that you see him there and then come back inside. Mm-hmm. It's like, just go out and pretend and then come back. Let him see you. 
And so it, it, I didn't know what he was up to at first. And so I was as confused as Dernick was <laughs> in that moment. But um, so Dernick does that. Then Mr. Wolf seems to be like really pleased with himself, like yeah. how perfect this all is. And I'm still kind of <laughs> like, I don't get it. What is perfect? <laughs> it's like Aunt Pole already understands what Mr. Wolf is up to because she's like, why, why are we making this so easy for him? But it's like Dernick is completely lost here. And I get a little bit confused at this point of like, the plan, like I get the plan at the end, what Mr. Wolf was trying to do so they could sneak out the back and so make you explain end. the plan to me as you see it. Yeah. So they're trying to make Brill like they each step out at this point and then they each, not each of them, but some of them step out and let Brill see them and go back in so that Brill thinks they're all in this tent. And then, um, the goal is that they're going to sneak out the back of the tents and leave Brill there, hopefully for a while, believing that they're still there while they've already actually left and been on the road for a while. Because mm -hmm. Brill's working for the Murgos, which is dumb. They have surmised that he's working for the for Asherak or for the Murgos, and so he's if he, if they can keep him there and interested he will delay reporting back to the Murgos. And so the Murgos won't know they are there until they've gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it helps when like um, Silk explains it to Mandrellen because he's also confused. So then you get like the explanation mm -hmm. you know, to understand what's going on. Yep. So they go through with that. Barak still <laughs> suggests once more, why don't we just let Heta slip out and stick a knife between his ribs? And then we'll yeah. just dump him in a ditch somewhere. Easy. He won't follow us anymore. <laughs> and Wolf's like, no, no, no. Ashrak would miss him. We're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so they're hoping that this tactic will delay the Murgos a couple of days, thinking they're still inside the tent and we'll give them um, a couple of days lead. Yeah. Yep. So that's pretty much the end. So they do. They sneak out and go and get their horses and there's one last little thing and i'll mention it because it gives an insight into the tonedron people delvor to delay the mergos even further hides a bag of money like a um counterfeit counterfeit gold coins tonedron gold coins so the lead coins stamped and gilded in the, in the Murgos tent, and he's going to report to the Legionnaires the next day, the Tonnedrin Legionnaires, that, you know, these guys are trying passing bad money. And money is very, very important to Tonnedrins. And Silk um, on a barrack makes the observation that if the Legionnaires get excited enough about those coins, they might even start hanging people. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Just like one little jab in, in the side as they head out. Yeah. <laughs> and then it ends um, with Gary and feeling lonely. Mm -hmm. They head back out into the dark night. And, you know, when it, he's thinking of everyone else in a home with a bed and walls around them. And they're on, a, on the great west road 
stretching out across a vast plain. Yeah. Yep. And that's that's a lot like when he was first leaving Sundaria, I remember. And he yeah. looked back on the town or yep, the village. Yep. That's true. It is very much so. It's another leaving. And I guess this is, uh, there are, there, there's a series, there are times, a lot of, many times through this entire series where there are repetitions of certain patterns. And I actually really like that because they seem to build on one another. And so this, not only is he leaving a comfy little place like the tent, this, it was a big pavilion. It was very warm and cozy inside with all of his family and friends there now. And then they leave and they're on the road again and it's night time and they've left Lel Doran behind. So he's left his friend, his dear friend, who he was getting, you know, very intimate relationship with. And they're out on the road again, just like when he left his childhood friends and left out and they're out on the road. So, yeah, it is a, a, a nice, true repetition of that pattern. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Magic, magic. The magic. Um, I chose the idea that the horses can complain and lie. <laughs> I liked that moment and I liked Silk's reaction to that. <laughs> yes. So, and so. I'm just going to read my comment because, dang, what Alicia said. Because yeah. I wanted to say that. <laughs> and so I picked the way that Silk totally embodies his characters. And as you mentioned, it's, there's a magical element to that. Yeah, that was the other one I was deciding between, actually. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. So, real life relating. So, so I. Yeah, you go. But um, actually, the end of the chapter when they're leaving, mm. and Gary and feels like that lonely feeling and is out in the cold, and everybody else is warm. Like, I don't have, obviously I've never been traveling on the road like that out in the open or anything, but there's been moments where like I was younger and be out with friends at night. And I remember sometimes we'd be like adventuring through neighborhoods, probably doing, not doing things we shouldn't be, but just, uh, there was like a, a curfew and there'd be times we were out past that. Mm -hmm. So we could have been in trouble had the cops seen us or something. But we were literally just like walking around the neighborhoods and, you know, talking mm -hmm. to each other and stuff. But just like those kinds of moments or sometimes as an adult, just wandering by myself because I can't, like maybe there's stuff I'm going through. And I just can't sit at home. So I just go out to the beach and walk or something. And it is like the same kind of feeling of you start to miss being in the warmth of your home, right? Mm -hmm. Um and so I just related to that feeling. Nice. Well, my real life relate is when Garion's asking Heta about um, how his parents died. I have had, I have the tendency. Not, no, I'm not going to say not so much anymore. I still do it for asking people to go deeper into what they're telling me be, be, without stopping to think that they might not even want to. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I like, I, I dive right into the guts of a thing. If someone wants to talk to me, that's the kind of conversation <laughs> we're going to have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, I'm the same way. I don't I don't talk to people as often though. But and I don't think I'm a probing kind, but I'm the kind that will pour out too much, I think, sometimes. When people aren't really ready for it. Like, <laughs> sorry, I'm just really open about that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a perfect match then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay, so, oh my goodness, prophecy speaks. Yay. believe my jaw is still fucking sore from that freaking butcher of a dentist that's crazy that's definitely not normal oh it's ridiculous okay so the book i'm using for prophecy speaks this week is fingersmith by sarah walton waters and i have i used it uh ages ago um, but it's a novel that I haven't read yet. But I'm going to take it with me when I have my week vacation. This is my vacation week book because I'm going somewhere that has, I'm not going to have my computer. I've got one meeting that I'm going to do by Zoom on my phone, mm-hmm. like a 15-minute meeting on Monday. And then the rest of the week is me and my pixie and a wood fire and walking in the forest and... Look, babysitting a big white horse of a dog. Absolutely gorgeous. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. So, and my question, my question this week, um, so I'm sort of building on the questions lately. This, this question relates to the magic fluff book series that I was talking about last week where I was asking if I needed to, if I, if I want, needed to um, like use my new method of, that I'm learning to outline the book. And I was told, just fucking get on with it. Um, so this week, I'm, I want to, uh, my question is, do I keep it light and like quite light and fluffy and sort of tend to like get, get more into the amusing and not inconsequential, but keep it like light? Because I do tend to be very not light. I, I get quite deep emotionally and I think that I can still achieve all of the things all of the things that I write for all of the reasons that I write I think I can still achieve that through maybe a little bit more humor and and lightness Mm -hmm. um, in the book and it's a novella so it's it's a it's, it's not it's just a nice short read and so so yeah, I'm sort of, you know, do I do I go for light and fluffy, which is a different type of book for me to write, um, or do I just stick with the way that you know I normally do it? So that's sort of my question. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes sense to me. Okay. They grew bad-tempered as the days grew warm. They complained of headaches and sweats. They complained of their gowns. Why I stay here looking after you in wool, they'd say, pulling us about. When I might be at Tunbridge Asylum where the nurses all wear poplin. 
But the fact of it was, as we all knew, no other madhouse would have had them and they wouldn't have gone anyway. They had it too easy. They talked all the time of how troublesome and sly the ladies were and showed off bruises. But of course, the ladies were far too dazed and miserable to be sly. The trouble came all from the nurses when they fancied some sport. I'm getting the distinct impression that someone needs some lightness of heart going on. Yeah, that was my take. Yes. Okay, answer. (laughs) Yeah, I think it might be good for you to, like, change it up for this series. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are novellas, it's true that you can't get that deep with them as you would a full-length novel. Yeah, and not well. It would, it would. I mean, you could. I mean, you could write a deep series of novellas, but I think, I think with the series you already have going, something light and fluffy is going to be like a really good balance. Yeah. And I've been like the whole reason that I call it magic fluff, like that's my series working title, magic fluff, (laughs) is because I tend to take myself too seriously. And I, the, whole, the whole premise of this series is about characters who take themselves too seriously and need to lighten up. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know why I had to ask that freaking question. Oh, <laughs> ridiculous. Because we take ourselves too seriously. <laughs> okay. I'm done. Your turn. Well, <laughs> mine is actually along the lines of this. Because I take myself too seriously especially like as a mother, I take myself way too seriously that I I don't even know like what I can do in my days anymore to just have fun for myself, to do something that's like just joyful. I don't even know how to feel joyful anymore. That's a sad thing. It's just like not part of me. I'm just going to interrupt just for a second because when we started, you were very joyful. You were very sparky. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, like, watching a show like that makes me feel good. But besides TV, (laughs) Uh what can I do to to just feel that? Like, I want that feeling, but actually doing something away from a screen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And I'm using um, A Wrinkle in Time again. Uh, And again, her name is Madeline. I don't want to try to pronounce her last name because I'll ruin it. But yeah, let's see what comes up. Oh, (laughs) Um, there's an image on here. So I already know like kind of what's coming with this. What's the image? Um, Can you hold it up? Okay. It's a four dimensional. Yeah. And the fourth, well, I guess if you want to put it in a mathematical terms, you'd square the square, but you can't take a pencil and draw it the way you can the first three. I know it's got something to do with Einstein and time. I guess maybe you could call the fourth dimension time. That's right, Charles said. Good girl. Okay, then. For the fifth dimension, you'd square the fourth, wouldn't you? I guess so. Well, the fifth dimension's a tesseract. You add that to the other four dimensions, and you can travel through space without having to go the long way around. In other words, to put it into Euclid, 
or old-fashioned plane geometry, a straight line is not the shortest distance between two points. Um, for a brief illuminating second, Meg's face had the listening, probing expression that was so often seen on Charles's. I see, she cried. I got it. For just a moment, I got it. I can't possibly explain it now. But there, for a second, I saw it. She turned excitedly to Calvin. Did you get it? <laughs> he nodded. Enough. I don't understand it the way Charles Wallace does, but enough to get the idea. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just stop there. Mm -hmm. So that's basically Charles, the littlest boy, explaining to the two older children the idea of the fifth dimension and the Tesseract, which I loved this part of the book. I remember reading this and be like, oh my gosh, you know, believing that that stuff really exists, which I did when I, as soon as I, I read this explanation, I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the thing about a straight line is not the shortest distance between two that's points. That's the one that I picked up too. <laughs> and I don't really know exactly what that, has to say for me about what I can do for fun. Probably that I'm too linear in my day. <laughs> well, but that. that's the thing. It's what you interpret that as meaningful for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it is. My days have just become this like blah. Like, okay, I get up. I do my morning routine, get the kids ready for school. I take them to school. I come home. I do my writing, anything else I need to get done. I'll usually take a break in between and watch something that is joyful for me because that's right now the only place I find the joy um, while I eat lunch or a snack. And then it's almost about time to go pick them up, pick them up, come home. And then my evening is basically homework and dinner. And then I'm tired. Mm -hmm. so then I sit down and watch another show, get them into bed, and then I fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And that's like my day every day. So that's pretty, you know, like what you'd call linear. And I think maybe finding a way to break that every day. So you're on a straight line. It's not the shortest distance between you and Joy. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's always been my struggle is not knowing, uh, not knowing how to break that or not knowing what to do. Like yesterday, I actually took your advice from a couple weeks ago about um, just going out to a park with my Wizards Unite app. And I had a lot of fun. I was I amazed at all the stuff that was there. I'm like, holy crap, I don't have all this at my house. I'm so glad you did that. Yeah, so that, that was my thing yesterday to try to do something different. It's just like 20 minutes every day of just like breaking yeah. the line for now, I think is enough. Yeah. Absolutely, that's enough. And so I'm going to suggest that you think of it as not finding joy, but letting yourself play. Mm -hmm. Just letting yourself play with no purpose other than to just play whether that's swinging on the swings at the park or jumping on the trampoline or throwing a ball against the back fence or, you know, making sandcastles at the beach. Yeah. Collecting shells mm -hmm. or pebbles. Yeah, it's true. Like, I don't do any of that stuff. 
So I think it is, yeah, just making time for that and hmm. yeah, see if that yeah. helps me feel better. <laughs> it has, it absolutely will make you feel better. Mm -hmm. playing is fun <laughs> yeah oh okay do you have a prediction for the next chapter and how did you go on your last prediction hmm. my last prediction Garion might bond more with Mandarella now that Leldrin isn't there. Um, and that they might arrive someplace they've been trying to get because I couldn't remember where they were trying to get. <laughs> um, so I guess they did arrive someplace, but nothing about <laughs> Mandarella. No. <laughs> okay, um, next chapter. This one, I, I think that they will be successful in separating their distance from Ashrak. Um, so I think that threat is going to kind of be gone for a little bit, but that there's going to be something else along this road that they're headed towards, like maybe somebody getting injured or something like that. Okay. Happen. Cool. Well, we'll just have to wait until next week. Find out. Mm-hmm. So, I, once again, have not got a hashtag. Do you have a hashtag? How about complaining horses? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, or lying horses. Yeah. Or horse lies. What are you, lying? Horse lies. I like horse lies. Horse lies. Horse lies. Oh, I don't know why I said that. Sorry. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> for the fans who are still with us at the end of the show, please contact us through our website, belgariadandbeyond.goddesskindle.com or on Facebook or Instagram at belgariadandbeyond with the hashtag horse lies if you want to talk about this episode specifically. And you'll find all of the show notes on our website and I always drop a link for the new episodes into our Facebook. I've been a bit slack with Instagram lately, but you know, I'll get there and um, I'm still uploading episodes to YouTube. So um, that, that playlist is growing as well. So as always, you can check out the, um, all the links and the clicky things in the show notes. Yes. And on iTunes, um, we're still looking for some ratings or reviews to help us um, reach more people. So please go do that if you are enjoying the show because it would be a big help for us and um, help to build the community. Mm -hmm. And we would just love you. Love you yeah. forever. But only if you give us five stars. And who knows sometime when Patreon's up and running, if we decide to do something special for those who have left reviews Ooh. for the podcast. Ooh. Well, I don't, I have, I haven't, we haven't really brainstormed Patreon very well, but we have, we have vague ideas about what we would like to do. Yeah. That's why I said in the future. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're still waiting for those reviews too. Maybe hey. it might, no. it might 
boost us um, quicker with Patreon. (laughs) One day in the future when hundreds of people listen to us every week because we're a cult classic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks for staying with us and um, being part of our crowd. We'll see you next week. See you guys. I think that we almost scooted in under an hour that time. I know. It's the advantage of recording frequently. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We don't have as much to blabber before and after. Yeah, exactly.